Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Ashanti Petaway, who is the Director of Network Partnerships for the Chicago Partnership. He is preaching from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. Okay. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? Take two. I'm excited about today's text. It's from Genesis chapter 50. I don't know if you guys have uh, been in Genesis lately, but uh, one of the beauties of the Old Testament are its narratives and, and the beauty of the stories there. And I want us to explore today's text in a, in a way maybe you haven't. When we think of God's goodness and the idea of suffering, uh, and what does that mean? And so I am requiring some crowd participation from those who are in here. I want you to step outside of yourself when I ask this question. I actually want you to shout or out just words. You don't have to raise your hand, just shout it out. But I want you to think of what words come to your mind regarding a specific emotion. I want you to name an emotion when you think of the idea of suffering. Go. Pain. Too long. Sadness. Debilitating. Aren't those wonderful words? They're captivating, right? You, you automatically can resonate with them regardless of what you've experienced in life. But my, my, my last question for you right now this morning is this, is how many of you guys actually run towards that? When you hear those words, how many of you guys say, oh, yes, that's what I want? There's not this joy that overcomes you when you think of those words. Why? Because it's, it's nothing we really look forward to. See, typically in this situation, they would give the analogy of how when you go to the gym and you work out and you feel pain and you don't want to do it because it's building something strong in you and then you come out. But, but I think that's almost a disservice to the idea of suffering and pain because when I leave, the, when I'm in the gym and I feel pain, that's self-imposed typically, right? Because, because I go in intentionally trying to get an end goal. I go into the gym to work out so that I can be buff and have a summer chest. And although scripture makes it clear that there is something being built in us through our suffering, very seldom is the suffering we experience at, at, at its core something that is self-important. We don't run into it saying, I want to destroy my life. I want to experience significant pain. I want to experience hardship. And it leaves you in a position where you ask, well, how is it that I'm able to, like, God, where are you? If you're a good God and I'm experiencing this suffering and hardship that that isn't a direct choice that I'm making, even though sometimes we make choices that lead to it, where are you at? And how is your goodness still manifested in my life in light of what I'm experiencing? When we look at defining this idea of suffering, I was even hesitant about using the word suffering. Literally this morning, I thought about rephrasing it four or five times. Because when we think of suffering, we say, oh, it's something extreme. And so how dare I say because things aren't working out that I say I'm suffering? 
But I want us to look at two definitions, the natural Webster definition, but also the Greek definition. And in Webster, it says this, it's the means or state of being in great trouble, distress, which implies an external and usually, usually temporary cause of great physical or mental strain and stress. It's this conscious endurance of pain. Greek says this, it's the capacity to feel this very strong emotion that lets you know this feeling that is being felt is a deep emotion, like agony. Suffering is this weightiness that has to it that seems like it causes you just to be able to endure. And when we think of it, that can be manifested in different levels. So I want at this moment to acknowledge you wherever you are on the scale. Your great suffering could be that you've lost someone recently. Your great suffering could be uh, the mental strain of depression that you're feeling. Yes, we have brothers and sisters in the faith who are suffering for the gospel overseas who are losing their life. But I'm here to tell you that, listen, different levels of what the pain feels like. But the one thing we share in common, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, is that it is all a form of suffering and strain that you are experiencing and that we are experiencing together. So today, as we look at the gospel narrative in the story in Genesis, we're looking at all that's happened we're looking at the life of Joseph, and I think there are three things we're going to see here. We're going to explore the cause of difficulty and suffering. We're going to learn the character of God, and ultimately, we're going to see the example of his goodness. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for your love and your goodness towards us. We pray that you will move on the hearts of everyone here, both physically and online. Prepare the hearts of all of us in this room to receive your goodness. Those of us who are gripped with pain, fear, sadness, uncertainty because of evil and suffering that we have experienced in our lives, may you begin to heal us with your healing balm today. Those of us who even hearing the word suffering wanted to run out of this room, whether physically or mentally, Help our hearts be calm so that we can hear from you today. Tear down the walls we have put up so we can receive your truth. That be for me, the preacher, and for those who are listening, because your word is here to trans all of us, transform all of us in this room. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. It's important to know when looking at the gospel, or the textual narratives, and say, "Hey." How do we get here? So we see the story of Joseph and his engagement with his brothers and how he's responded to them. Uh, but how did we get to this position? Joseph was uh, a good guy. He's beloved by his father, but being beloved by his father didn't work out too well for him growing up with siblings. And so it's a familiar story that we know. Disney turned it into a movie. Um, but I want us to, again, look at this brief synopsis, and as beautiful as Disney made it look, it was a little harder than what Disney made it look like. Amen? So as the treasured son of Jacob, Joseph was the one who got all the love. And because of this, his brothers began to build up this 
uh, hatred towards him. It was a catalyst by which they ended up wanting to destroy his life. Now, in this situation, it's not all their fault. Uh, this is no judgment to Jacob, but we can look as a case study uh, that his parental skills kind of dropped there. You don't, you don't. Now, I've been told that every parent has a favorite. I've been told that. I don't, I, I don't, I just say, but you can't let it be known. I don't agree that you should have a favorite, but if you do, you can't let it be known. But it's obvious <laughs> that Jacob made it clear who his favorite was. And although the brothers had a right to be hurt, a right to be angry, they did not let the, have to let their father's poor decision and their pain lead them to act in such evil and hateful ways. Because what they ended up doing was saying, listen, because of this rejection we feel, because of this heartache we feel, we are determined to destroy our little brother. And so that's what they did. Joseph, in the introduction, is then sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, I want you to think about the impact of this that would have had on his life, both emotionally and spiritually, of, of going to his brothers. And uh, again, he was about to snitch on them, so they, they knew what he was going to do. He had a history of tattletelling. But their response to it was very drastic, I dare say even demonic, and that they, they allowed the enemy to move with such passion and hatred in their hearts that they said, you know what? We're going to kill our brother. But in God's mercy, one of the other brothers said, well, no, we can't kill him. So they said, let's sell him into slavery, and that is what they did. This is a beautiful form of family dysfunction. We see it live and in person right here in this story. And I want us to take a minute just to think of what that was like experientially. Imagine if your siblings, or for those of you who don't have siblings, your cousins, say, hey, you know what? We can't stand him or her so much that we're going to actually sell them into slavery. And this wasn't like a selling into slavery that says, oh, they'll be okay. This was a selling into slavery where they knew this would be psychological, physical, and emotional hardship, strain, and suffering that would be caused. This is what Joseph is now left to carry as he moves forth. But it doesn't stop there. Second, he is in slavery but sold to Potiphar. In that situation, he actually finds great success as he serves Potiphar's house. It looked as if maybe things in the story had changed and we were transitioning to a beautiful outcome. Uh, but it was short-lived because Joseph, although he had made these advances, became the eye of Potiphar's wife. And she sought to have a sexual encounter with him. But Joseph says, I can't do this. Not just because of who you are and that how dare I offend Potiphar by sleeping with his wife, but also because of who God is. And how dare I sin against my God? And she did not take this well. She did not handle this type of rejection well. She was a woman of power. And she says, no, you do what I say, slave. And so in response to that, she accused him of rape. Which should have led to his death. But again, in God's mercy, led to him being imprisoned. And while in prison, he finds favor once again. And in finding this favor, he ends up connecting with two gentlemen who were scheduled to die. But what happens is he says, I have a dream. 
uh, he tells these two uh, servants of Pharaoh of what they can expect and what is to come. And for one in particular, he says, hey, listen, whatever happens, remember me when you get out this joint. Like, remember me when you get out. And what happens, he gets forgotten about for two years. This man's life who he helped spare forgets about him for two whole years. So you have these three major uh, events that have shaped the life and narrative of Joseph, this sense of rejection and suffering, sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused of rape and imprisoned. And then he was forgotten about after he did a good deed for two years. Again, as we look at today's text, I, I present this to you to help shape the structure of understanding that Joseph's life, we see long-lasting suffering. You see these moments of high and low, but it's always drastic. It's not minor things that are happening to him. Yes, he has the nuances of living the day-to-day -day life, but then he gets hit with significant pain and hardship. But I think there's something beautiful that we can see about God and what has happened in his life. As we look at this question, can we have a good God in spite of our suffering and hardship? I think there is one, two things we'll see from this text, and that is this. Joseph had a clear understanding of God's character. And he also recognized the cause of his suffering. You may say, well, how do you know he has this understanding? I think we see it in verse 20 where he proclaims these words. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Again, that, that, that phrase there helps us see and peer into not only his uh, psychological mindset, but his spiritual mindset that somehow God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, had downloaded this understanding that in spite of the evil that was intended, he's saying God intended it for good. When we think of the idea of evil that is associated with his brothers and the sin that they committed, he's saying, listen, despite your evil intentions, I'm attributing the goodness of what has come to it from God. When we think about this idea of what causes suffering, herein lies the biggest issue. Many of us don't want to associate the idea that somehow suffering is a cause of us and sin. Now, again, I know I open by saying this idea that not, something's happened to us, but universally we really struggle with this idea that somehow our sin is the cause of evil and suffering that lives in our world. There's no idea of personal ownership. We don't want to understand. We see what happens in society. We want no personal ownership associated with it. There was an interview with a well-known actor. His name is Stephen Fry. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with him. I believe he's been in the Harry Potter movies. And he's a known atheist. And he was asked, what would you say to God if you had a chance to sit down with him? Like, what would you say to him? And this is what he said. How dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not our fault? And this is the issue for many of us. We don't believe the misery and suffering of this world has anything to do with us. That's not the case. Suffering exists because of one word that we all know. 
And that's sin. Suffering in this world exists because of sin. And I'm here to tell you, listen, sin impacts everything. There is not a sphere of this world that is not impacted by sin. And I love how theologian Cornelius Planticus said it in this. He's got this book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He defines sin in this way. It's any act, thought, desire, emotion, word, or deed, or its particular absence that displeases God and deserves blame. And sin ultimately breaks shalom. Shalom is being a comprehensive vision of humanity living together with God and non-human creation, all in perfect harmony, balance, justice, and delight. Sin affects everything. Politics, relationships, your health, the economy, nature, how you see yourself, how you see others around you are all directly impacted by sin. So when we want to stand up and say, God, how dare you allow evil? You have to recognize that evil exists because thousands of years ago, there was a choice made to eat from a forbidden place. Although all was given to them and all was good, a decision was made to eat from one place because of one thought that somehow God was keeping something from them. And when that sin entered the world, it forever changed everything. I had a friend of mine preach a sermon. I'll never forget it. He painted this picture, beautiful picture. And I admit he probably took some creative liberty when he said this, but he was like, as soon as they bit the fruit... The bee's stinger sharpened. The roses had now thorns that would prick and hurt you. But there was this idea that everything in nature had been shifted because sin had now entered the world. There was this idea that is foreign to us to be able to walk in perfect, free beauty of nakedness without seeing it as some sexual, uh, uh, self-serving way, that all changed in an instant. Then they recognized that they were naked, but beforehand they were in perfect harmony with all of creation. The idea is that even they could walk with the lions and not worry about being bitten. Joseph realized that sin was at the cause of his suffering, not God but the sin of his brothers. It was the sin of Potiphar's wife that led to his imprisonment. It was sin that led to him being forgotten about. Not God. And in recognizing this, he understood that despite this pain, you know what I know for sure? (laughs) That God is good. And he has good character. And I want you to know that although our life experiences create the filter through which we see everything, we must always remember who he is. 
You know, oftentimes in a situation where you've experienced abuse, whether it be emotionally, physically, verbally, maybe you've been in a relationship where somebody has cheated on you. Whenever you engage in a new relationship, what tends to happen is you look at them through this new person, through the lens of what you've experienced. So if you've had somebody be harsh with you in word, in deed, or again, someone who's cheated on you, when you see somebody not respond to your phone call or they be, 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 uh, it looks like they're sending a secret text, the only reason it looks that way is because of the filter through which you see those individuals. And what has happened for many of us is that our life experiences have shaped the lens by which we see God. Yes, how you view God is shaped by what you've experienced. But the, the danger is this, is that we cannot let our experiences shape how we see him. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this, is that the modern church has lost sight of the majesty of God and have surrendered the once lofty concept of who God was and substituted it with a very, very low view of God. For many of us, we have forgotten to have a proper understanding of who God is, his character and his nature, and we can't let our experiences determine that. God is who God is regardless of how we feel. And you know how we know this? Through the only reliable source we have that tells us about God. He may be on your phone, on your iPad, but it's through 66 books found in the Holy Writ, the Bible. That is the final authority on God's character. Not you, not me, not us. His word has to be the end all be all because otherwise, guess who God becomes? Whatever we want him to be. For those who say, I don't believe the Bible, I listen, struggle with it as you may. As flawed as we are as people and how we have abused the scripture to push our own agendas and hurt and harm people and even enslave and hurt both here and overseas. I'm telling you this. This is the source of all truth. You may not like it, but it's his word and it shapes what we know about him. And for those of us who say, well, well, it may, listen, how did you come to know Jesus through the illumination of his word in your life and in your heart? And what God is saying, listen, let me define me, not you. And what does God's word say about who God is? What does God's word say about his character? We can look in the Psalms, a beautiful book of poetry, but it's a beautiful place of praise. And this is what it says in Psalms 25, 8. Good and upright is who is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in their way. 85 verse, 86 verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and what? Forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalm 105, 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Scripture is clear without a shadow of a doubt saying God isn't just sometimes good. God isn't just good occasionally. God is in his nature good, which means he can't be anything else. And you know what's amazing about God if you didn't know already, is that he's all things at all times forever. He is good. He is just. 
He is holy. He is sovereign. He is loving. He is gentle. He is provider. He is kind. He is a God who fights your battles. And the problem is, is that many times we think he's one or two of those things and then takes time off from the other one. No, he is holistically all those things, all the times, no matter what season of life you may find yourself. Our understanding of God's goodness cannot be limited by our experiences, but our understanding of God's goodness has to be founded in the scriptures. Because I tell you this, if it's founded anywhere else, it will fail you. When my cousin dropped dead at 40 years old, after I had just texted him a few days before, God's goodness and trusting in his character was the only thing that got me through that. When we lost our child, it's God's character that got me through that, even though I was mad at him. When things have not panned out in my life like I expected, it's God's goodness and the fact that his word says this is who he is, despite your circumstances, that allowed me to maintain. My wife has even shared, when she was thinking about I can't walk with you anymore, it's the truth of who God was in his scriptures that allowed her to say, despite what I feel, this is very painful and real right now, I'm still, yet still, I will walk with you. And it is that that anchors our soul. It is that that keeps it. It is that that allows us to keep moving forward. And it is that what Joseph understood about his God. Because what we notice in the text as you read his story, and I encourage you to go back and read it today, is that everywhere he went, it says, and the Lord was what? With him. As he is with all of us. Now, the goodness that Joseph spoke of, that he rested in was God's character, but we would assume that Joseph was talking about the stuff he had. He had success. Joseph at this point was the man. I mean, this is beyond the idea of being the vice president. I, 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 our current culture uh, doesn't reflect that because our president and government don't, you know, depending on where you're at, you don't even have any power. But this is like a monarchy, you know, so this is more like what we see in England. It's this idea, he was the right-hand man, which means he had power and authority he says, go, they go. The, 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 the Pharaoh is saying, hey, I've given you regions that you, do, you have domain over. So other than me, you got this. But that's not the goodness that Joseph is speaking of in this moment. He's got money, position, power. I mean, he's balling. And I would like it personally. I ain't going to lie, but that's not the goodness that he is referring to. Joseph is referring to something very different. And this is what is said in this text. In verse 20 says, this was happened to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The suffering and humiliation inflicted upon Joseph by his brothers was the means of salvation of his family, which included Joseph's father, Jacob, his brothers, and all their descendants. It was bigger than even his family. This included the citizens of Egypt. God was providentially turning these series of sour events into this divinely used, orchestrated event that would save the lives of not one man, but lead to the salvation of many people. Through Joseph's life and his suffering, do you hear me? 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands lives were changed. They were saved. They were headed for a famine. And if Lord hadn't given him the dream to understand, they would not have even had provision to survive. All would have decided would have died. Through Joseph, one man experienced this all. And if you don't know, you already know where we're going. Because listen, through one man, hundreds of years later, through the same line, would find himself a man who was despised for no reason. A man who had men and women conspire evil against him, even though he had done them well. A man who was falsely accused, even though he had done nothing wrong. A man who goes by the name of Jesus, who actually was the one who helped breathe life into the very breath of those who were accusing him and falsely wanting to do harm to him. And what we found on the cross was the ultimate form of suffering. At its highest level, the cross, which was birthed out of evil, sinful hearts of men, they had created this form of death specifically to torture and kill people. This was their intention. They wanted to shame him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to say, listen, nothing and no one can stand above our religion and our view of what is right and wrong. We determine how this should go. And as he sat there, or should I say hung there in his nakedness? One of the wicked men next to him said this. He said, could you remember me? Can you remember me when you go? Can you remember me? Not because I've done anything right. I actually deserve to be here, which is why I'm telling my man on the other side, like, like, we deserve to be up here suffering like this. But he has done nothing. And the words of God are so beautiful because what God says is he says, this day, not after you've gone to Bible college, not after you've done enough volunteer service, not after you've preached the word, but he's saying, even as you prepare to die next to me, because you've recognized something through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I say this specifically because sometimes you cannot fully comprehend how to theologically break things down, but I want you to know that even when you don't know how to fully flush it out theologically, God in his mercy, he says, I can hear your heart, and that's good enough. And I'm saying, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. This day. Paul says this, in Christ God, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I stand here with you all this morning, recognizing that sometimes I still struggle to recognize that there's nothing that I do that makes me right before God. And I pray that, along with me, that you would learn to grow in the freedom of knowing that uh, once you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you do is a byproduct of your love for him, not a determining factor of whether or not he loves you. And when you operate out of a space of doing work out of love versus work out of duty, there's a freedom in that. We work jobs that require us to meet a certain quota or we don't keep our jobs. And that's whether you're a teacher or in sales. It's this idea of saying, as long as you do this, you can still stay employed. And what, what God is saying is that I've already given you my righteousness. So there's nothing you can do to stay employed with me, which is why I sent my son. So walk in the freedom of the fact that you weren't good enough and I loved you anyway. But now you are good enough because of whose you are and the fact that I sent him to die for your sins. So journey with me as I walk with you in your struggles, as I walk with you in your disappointments, as I walk with you in your misunderstandings of even who I am and know that you are with me and I've got you. In Psalms, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Even though that man shall fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. He's upholding us all. Those who are online and YouTube, I want you to know he's upholding us. And hearing a message like this, I think there are two things we walk away with and that we want to understand, and that is this, is that We choose what we believe. So you can actually choose not to believe God is good. There are countless people who have done that. But you also have to recognize you have the choice to learn who God is and choose to believe him with who he says he is. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that situation where people assume things about you. And then they tell other people about their assumptions. And it doesn't quite match up with who you know yourself to be. And this isn't one of those situations where it's a lack of awareness. It's just literally that's not who you are. Would it be good, though? And don't we often feel like, why don't you just come and find out for yourself? And then let me reveal to you who I am. Not this idea that you have or what you think I am because you haven't been with me. God is wanting to show you who he is. So trust his word. Allow it to shape your view of his character. And recognize, excuse me, that even in suffering, he hasn't changed and he is with you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotv.life.
God bless and have a great week.